Well, it is wonderful to be back with you after sabbatical. I've said to a number of people this past week that it was wonderful to be away, but it's even better to come back. Better to come back to be with you, my church family who loved me, loved my family so well by giving us that incredible gift of a sabbatical to refresh, to restore, to recover some of our joy in the Lord as we rested. It was a wonderful gift. I'm sure that there are things that are going to tumble out of me over the coming weeks and months that the Lord taught me in this sabbatical, but just one measure of his exceedingly gracious gift of sabbatical. The first 13 days was spent in Scotland on the Outer Hebrides, the islands on the west side of Scotland, and they were beautiful as you would imagine them to be. And if you know anything about the the Scottish Isles, you know that they are cold and windy and rainy. That's what I expected. I packed for cold and windy and rainy. But in God's good grace, he gave us 12 sunshine days in a row. It's beautiful, blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. It rained one part of one day, And that was just one metric of how we saw God just pour out over and abundantly all we could ever ask or imagine. It's even better to be home with you than it was to be in the islands of Scotland. This morning, we turn our attention to the book of Jonah, to the little four chapters filled with an incredible message for the contemporary church. And we're going to spend the next four weeks in the book of Jonah. We could spend four months there. It's his probably my favorite book in the whole Bible, and I'm excited to open it up for you today. It's a great story. It's a true story. And some of the time we think that it's just about this man who got swallowed by a fish, but it's so much more than that. The the swallowing of the fish is just a, a detail in a much bigger story. You might know that in the Old Testament, names are often a window into the point of the story, into the truth of the story God is teaching us. And the same is true here. Jonah, the son of Amittai. The whole book is summed up in the name of this prophet. Jonah, in Hebrew, the original language here, the language of God's people, in Jonah in Hebrew means dove. And throughout the pages of the Old Testament, a dove is often used as a a symbol of senselessness, silliness, kind of flitting around this way and that, even fleeing the day of trouble. So here we find this prophet, this reluctant prophet, this mouthpiece of God as a silly, senseless one who flees from God's presence, flees from God's call on his life, and yet he is the son of Amittai, which again in Hebrew means the son of my faithfulness son of my truth. So we see this story of a silly and senseless prophet who even tries to run away from God and yet he is firmly within God's strong grip. He's called home because he is a son of God's faithfulness, just like you. That's what this book is about, sons and daughters of God's faithfulness, not because we do everything right, not because we follow the call of the Lord every single way in the way he calls us to be, We're silly and senseless, remember, just like Jonah. But we are sons and daughters of God's faithfulness. He will never let us go. So let's hear the heart of God's invitation of grace to sinners like us, his faithful grace who calls all kinds of sinners into his family. Pray, and then we will hear the story from Jonah chapter one. Let's pray. 
Father, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes. Open our eyes to the magnificence of our Redeemer and the work that he does to call sinners like us into your presence. Open our eyes to your word and teach us and feed us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What, what, of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I once read a story about an unconventional bicycle race in India. The object of this race was uh, to go the shortest distance possible in an allotted period of time. The way that it worked is all the racers would line up across the start, start line and when the gun sounded, the cyclists, as best they could, kept their feet on their pedals and had to stay absolutely put. Now here's the catch. Any one of them who took their foot off the pedal and touched the ground was disqualified. 
So the goal of the race was to inch along as slowly as possible while keeping their body balanced on the bicycle. They would just inch bit by bit forward and then after the allotted time, the gun would sound and the person who traveled the shortest distance won the race. It's an unconventional bicycle race, isn't it? Those are unexpected rules. That's not what we think bicycle races are supposed to be. It's a little bit like the story of Jonah here. It's really not about Jonah, this book. This book is about what our unconventional God does about bad, evil people. He may not follow the rules we think he should follow. He doesn't do what we think he should do. The question of the book of Jonah is, what does God do with bad people? And his answer is equally unexpected. His answer is grace. His answer is mercy to the people who know that they need it, like pagan, really violent Ninevites. We'll talk about them more in just a moment. But also for good prophets, people who really don't think they need God's grace much anymore. The answer for people of all kinds of badness and evil and sin, from renegade nations to rebellious, reluctant prophets to regular sinners like you and me. The answer is always the invitation of God's grace. What did we learn about the heart of that God who invites us in chapter one of Jonah? First, we learn that God calls to rebellious runners. He calls after, he chases after rebellious runners. We see it in verse one, where Jonah received a call like all the other prophets. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he was given a message. Go to Nineveh. And call out against it, for its evil has come before me. Now, a little geography lesson for you. Nineveh was the sometime capital of Assyria, and it was directly to the east of Israel. You cross the desert, and and you get to Nineveh and Assyria. Tarshish was over the sea, directly to the west. And so when God called this prophet to go and preach, to go to the east, to these enemies of God's people and preach, Jonah instead went exactly the opposite direction in rebellion against God. He flat out rebelled against God. He went down to the port of Joppa, found a ship going the opposite direction that God called him to go, and he got on it. So verse 3 said, so that he would go away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah isn't an idiot. Jonah isn't a fool. He didn't think that the God who made the sea and the dry land, that if I could just get out of Israel, if I could get on a boat going to Timbuktu, then God can't find me. No, that's, that's not the point. But rather, being away from the presence of the Lord was a technical term, particular for prophets. You see it again and again, in, particularly in the book of First and Second Kings. The presence of the Lord is where prophets received God's word. Where prophets were to receive God's direction, God's word, God's will for his people. But Jonah ran away from it. He didn't want it. In a sense, Jonah the prophet says, I've prophesied for you before, Lord, but I'm finished. I'm not going to do it anymore, God. I can't see any way that there's any good that could come out of you sending me there to those people. I can't see any good reason that I should go over there. Any good reason for your call, so I assume there isn't one. I'm done, God. I've had it with you. Have you ever felt that way? I'm sure you have. So have I. God, I can't see any good reason why you won't answer my prayer. 
So there must not be a good reason. I'm not sure that I can trust you anymore. God, I, I can't see any good reason why you've refused to heal me of this illness, why you've refused to heal my child or my spouse or my friend. And God, since I can't see a good reason for your refusal, there's probably not one. I'm not sure that I can trust you right now. God, I can't think of a single good reason why you would call me to go over there and do that. So you must be off. It's a very short step from I can't see any good reason to so you really can't be trusted, God. You ever run from the Lord like that? You ever run from him and think that you can't trust him? You're not sure that he's able to take care of your life? You're not sure that he's sufficient to meet your needs? Have you ever run from the Lord like that? The really good news is that God calls after rebellious runners. He comes after rebellious runners like you and me. Jonah kept running. He went down to the boat with the pagan sailors and a storm came up. More about that one in a minute. And in verse 5, it says, he went fast asleep. Now, some commentators suggest that this is Jonah's sleep of sorrow. It was the sleep of depression. I, the, the, my world is so bad, I just want to go to sleep and hope it all goes away. Maybe. But I think what fits the context of the story better is that Jonah was perfectly content in his rebellion. He had a peace about his rebellion against God. He felt so at peace that he could go down into this at the bottom of a ship in a wild storm at sea. Just as an aside, that's not a safe thing to do. It's not a safe thing to assume that because I experience peace in the moment, then that's a guarantee that what I'm doing is pleasing to the Lord. It's not safe. I've heard people in my, I think I've been in ministry now 27 years. I've heard people across my 27 years say, you know, I just have a peace about what I'm doing right now. God, God really has given this person to me. He wants me to be in this adulterous relationship. I have a peace. My devotional life is wonderful. It's, it's never been richer with the Lord. I have a peace about what I'm doing right now. I don't think that's God's best for you. Or I think God is leading me to do this thing because I feel really peaceful about it, even though it's a direct violation of your written word, God. It's dangerous to rely on our subjective feelings as the fail-safe guarantor of what is true. Our feelings are malleable. The Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful. Our feelings may not be telling us the truth. It's God's word. It's God's written word that leads us. It's God's word that guides us. It's God's word that will lead us into all truth. And Jonah had fallen asleep on God's clear command. Have you ever done that? Ever fallen asleep on God's clear command? I know I have. Are you running from God this morning? Are you sleeping on his command and hoping he doesn't notice? The really good news is that God calls out to rebellious runners. He invites them to himself to rescue, to heal, to offer grace. Even when we are the ones who've made a mess of our own lives, he still calls out to us. Look at verse 4. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Now, the important thing to note here is that in the original Hebrew, the original language, that, that verb hurled means, well, it, it really means to hurl. It really means to pick something up and throw it. So the picture is, as, as one pastor put it, Jonah rebelled and God started throwing things. Jonah rebelled and God picked up a storm and hurled it after him. He hurled this storm at him to wrap him about in that storm to lay hold of him and begin to call him back. Our God powerfully comes after his rebellious servants, even sending a disastrous storm onto the sea. That's how much God loves you. God loves you and me so much that he will come after us and he will use all kinds of storms in our lives, any manner of things to lay hold of us but not so that he harms us, but so that he rescues us. There is no power that can stop God's purposes of grace in your life. Not even a rebellious prophet could stop God's purposes of grace. Are you running from that God today? Has he thrown something into your life to lay hold of you that you return to him in repentance? The really good news is that God calls out to God, chases after rebellious runners. In verses 7 to 11, these pagan sailors cast lots. And uh, by God's sovereign rule, the blame for the storm is laid at Jonah's feet. And so they begin to question him. It sounds like they've gathered around him in a circle and every one of them are just firing these questions at Jonah. Who are you? Where do you come from? Why is this happening to us? Who are your people? And Jonah in verse 12 says, it's all happening because of me. Hurl, he says, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And in verses 13 and 14, the sailors know what happens when you throw someone overboard in the middle of a storm. That person's going to die. And they didn't want to be responsible for the death of one of God's prophets. So they started trying to row back to dry land, but they couldn't make it. And so finally in verse 15, they threw him in the water and the storm stopped. Now maybe you hear Jonah in verse 12 owning up to this reason for the storm is like Jonah saying, I'm taking responsibility. It's all my fault, guys. You don't deserve it. Just, just kill me and this all stops. I'll be your substitute. I'm so sorry. Noble, noble Jonah. Not quite so fast. Remember the reason that they're in this mess to start with? Because Jonah says, I will not be a missionary to those pagans. I will not go over there. So you guys throw me into the deep to my death. I'd rather die than preach to the Ninevites. I'd rather go to my death than be sent as a missionary to those bad people over there. Talk about a hardened heart. And yet, our God who calls out to rebellious people in spite of Jonah's best efforts of silencing the Lord, silencing his call, a whole boat full of pagan sailors who at the beginning of the story, they're calling out to each to their own God. By the end of the story, they've repented and they're calling out to the Lord. The Lord Almighty, despite Jonah's refusal to be a missionary, he wound up with a boat full of converted pagans. It's amazing. God will stop at nothing to call his people to himself. He rescues in grace. He even rescued Jonah. He came after him. Okay, verse 17, they threw him in the sea and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. That fish wasn't punishment. 
That fish isn't just some random story. That fish was sent directly by God to swallow him up in the middle of a raging sea so that Jonah wouldn't drown. The fish was a manifestation of God's grace to come after Jonah, to to lay hold of him and not let him continue to persist in, in his rebellion to his own harm. That's what God does. He comes after rebellious runners. He chases us down. He he gives us life and nothing will stand in his way of laying hold of his beloved people. Now, his work may not be what you want it to be. His tactics may not be the kind of things that you're looking for. You maybe even feel like you've been swallowed up in this terrible storm in your life. But God will use anything. Our faithful God will use anything to get your attention on his grace. Our powerful God, intent on saving us, intent on chasing his people down to deliver and rescue, even when our distress and problems in our lives are a mess of our own making. Even when we've gotten into this terrible place, the Lord will not be deterred in loving rebellious sinners like you and me to life. His love is even deeper than it seems on the surface. Jonah told these sailors, throw me overboard, toss me into the realm of the grave, kill me and all this madness stops. But there was another who said, hurl me into the grave. Kill me, I will be your substitute so that my people will live. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the one who was willing to proclaim to the world, throw me into the grave, cast upon me the judgment of my people so that they will live. Jonah said, God, I won't do it. I won't go, not your will, but my will be done. How different that is from the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the shadow of the cross where he bore our sin, bore our curse, bore the judgment that we deserve. And yet Jesus in that garden bowed his head and said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. This is how much God loves you. He will stop at nothing to rescue you. He's even willing to give the life of his own son on the cross a humiliating terrible death a death fit for the worst of the worst so that you will live Jesus took on himself that condemnation and that judgment that bad people like us deserve so that we will live he'll stop at nothing to save rebellious sinners like Jonah like you and me like these sailors and we will see in the weeks ahead like even like the Ninevites Do you trust him? Do you know of that pursuing, rescuing kind of love? That's how much he loves you. He will chase you down, but the story goes even deeper. Quickly, second, God's heart is for his grace to flow widely. It's a wide grace for all kinds of sinners. Have you ever thought about why Jonah rebelled? Why would he refuse to go to the Ninevites in the first place. I mean, go in exactly the opposite direction. Well, there's a good reason. Nineveh was the sometime capital of Assyria, the arch enemy of Israel at the time. And they had been powerful and brutal enemies. 
the Ninevites worshipped the god Molech. And if you've studied any Near Eastern or ancient Near Eastern history, you know that Molech was a particularly brutal god. And he demanded child sacrifice in his worship. Molech was pictured as a large god with a big belly. And in that belly was boiling oil. And the Ninevites would throw their children in that oil as sacrifice to Molech. They would also sacrifice their children by building them into the walls. The walls of Nineveh were filled with the lives of little children who had been sacrificed to this brutal, awful God. That was these people. These people. And one of Jonah's contemporaries, Micah, prophesied that God would use this wicked people to carry his people off into exile. Jonah wanted no part of that. He used Amos, another prophet, to to tell the people that not only would Assyria drag them off into exile, but they would do, do it by having rings in their noses. They would be treated like cattle. The septum of their nose would be pierced and the Ninevites would put iron rings in their nose and then put ropes through the rings and then drag people across the desert through rings in their noses. Brutal, awful people these Ninevites were. And Jonah did not want to go and preach to them. He thought, I refuse to be a missionary to that kind of person. We can't blame him, can we? Call him to go preach to his enemies. People who wanted to destroy Israel's God, destroy the people of Israel. And here God is sending a preacher to the enemies. Jim Boyce in his commentary compared this to the Lord in the early 1940s calling a Jew in New York City to go to Berlin and preach to the Nazi leadership and preach forgiveness, preach reconciliation. It's a tough assignment. And yet it demonstrates the heart of our God. A God who calls all kinds of sinners to offer grace, wicked people of all stripes and all sorts and offers them salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are the people who fit in the category of Ninevites in your heart? The kind of people that seem too wicked for God to reach. They're too different. They're too terrible. They're too brutal. Lord, there's no way that your grace could reach those people. Is your heart more like Jonah's? No, not them. Or is it more like the Lord's who says to all kinds of sinners, come. Come and find me gracious and merciful and forgiving come. If you want to know the base reason that Jonah refused to go, he tells us what it is in chapter four, verse two. If you have your Bible, you could flip there. Jonah said, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish to the the west, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites because he knew that God just might be gracious. He might save them. His preaching might work. (laughs) And these people escaped the judgment that they deserved. (laughs) Thinking that offering, God is offering forgiveness and reconciliation to the worst of offenders and Jonah didn't want any part of it. Jonah's big problem is a problem that mirrors in our hearts as well so often. He wanted big grace for him. 
Big grace of God for people like him, for people who are in his family, people like him. Big grace for me, but the wicked out there, they deserve judgment, God. Big grace, big mercy, big forgiveness for me, but everybody out there, I can't wait to see you get them, to pay them back for their evil. There have been times in my life when I uh, have been hurt or been betrayed by people and I fell into Jonah's heart problem. God, I'm so thankful for grace for me. But would you, would you finally get that person who hurt me? Do you have a heart like Jonah's? Or do we have hearts like God? You know, there's a major problem here. Problem is that Jonah was wicked too. Problem is we are wicked too. We're not different in our hearts from those sailors or from the Ninevites. We need the same grace, that same unmerited favor of God. That word grace means we deserve the opposite and yet God pours out his favor. We need that unmerited favor just like anybody else because religious folks like ours, like us, have the same sin problem in our hearts. And the remedy's the same. It's the grace of God, the healing mercy of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who lived a perfect life for you and for me to give us a record of perfect righteousness no matter how bad we've been. And went to the cross in judgment for us no matter how wicked our lives have been. He died for us there. He was raised from the dead in victory over it all, over the judgment that we deserve and he's promised to return again and make everything wrong right to bring a new heavens and a new earth fit for his new people who live with eternal life. Do you know how much he loves you? That he would do something like that for a wicked person like me or like you. This life is an unconventional race and it has unexpected rules when God is involved. It's a wild story we have here and the the most magnificent, strangest detail about the story is not that a man was swallowed by a fish. The strangest, most magnificent, the most shocking part of this story is that there is an unconventional God who saves unlikely people through an unimaginable grace. It's a story of a rebellious nation. Story of reluctant prophets. It's a story of regular sinners like you and me. Will you come and trust this Jesus again today. Let's pray. Father, we are bowled over when we see the magnitude of your heart of love and grace and mercy. I can't imagine what it would have been like as a prophet of God in Israel to be called to go to these people who wanted more than anything else, they wanted me to die. And yet, Lord, that's exactly what you did for us. You came into this world when we sinners and wicked people wanted nothing more than for you to die and be quiet and get out of our lives, and yet you came. You persist in your call to rebellious sinners like us, Lord, so would you open our hearts and open our eyes to that Jesus today? There's someone here today who's never trusted you Maybe they've thought that they are too bad for you. Lord, would you open their hearts to know the way that you love people like me, like them, like all of us here. And you walk with us in grace. 
Help us to follow you with a heart shaped like yours, filled with grace and longing for mercy for all kinds of sinners. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.